we have sadly, sadly left our series on Matthew behind. Come on, we've done a panto. We've got to get a bit better than that. Sadly, we left our series on Matthew behind. But we start a new series this morning. There we go. Back on form. Just like back at whenever it was. And we decided to do uh, a series on, on the names of God, which at the time, I think, they're just sort of sitting there, shooting the breeze. What should we do a series on? Oh, the names of God. And then, you know, you sit down when you've got a spare cheeky five minutes to look at your sermon prep. <coughs> you think, oh, it's a bit complicated. Let's <laughs> do some proper work on this one. And, and I, um, when we, we sort of, Bosh the names of God out, you know, different Hebrew names for God. Um, it was like the list went out to the people preaching, and I'm normally quite quick on email. I thought I'm going to snaffle up the ones I like, <laughs> you know, no grace at all. So I did. I thought I'll have these ones, except uh, they just sort of seemed a bit kind of solid and uh, not, not nebulous and weird. Like, <laughs> I thought I'd, I'll leave that to Sam Lomas, uh, the tough ones. So um, I, I, the first one I did was, uh, I drew it was Adonai, the name of God, Adonai, um, which means my Lord and my master. And I, I kind of like that, you know, I do a little, little bit of stuff on God is my master. But then I started to dig into it a little bit. And here's the thing. So there's a little bit of backdrop. Now, I, I'm going to say this, and you think, wow, what an amazing intellect he has and so much knowledge. Like, this is Wikipedia, Google, Bible commentaries, books, other smart people. I'm just condensing this first little bit. The rest is me. This first little bit is just a bit of backdrop to save you going on Wikipedia later. Um, but, but, I mean, some of this I knew, but obviously, but just to condense this down. When you see the word Lord in your Bibles, that is actually the letters YHWH. Or we say Yahweh. Okay, so when you see Lord, it depends what version you've got. But if you see like a capital letters Lord, that is actually Yahweh. But the thing is, is that the Jews held that name with such reverence. Not like us, actually. We sing like, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh God. Do you know that song? I mean, I didn't sing that very poetically, did I? I just shouted it. That's how I sing as well. So, um... We sort of just shout that out, but the Jews held YHWH or Yahweh. We think they pronounce it like that. With such reverence, they didn't speak his name. So when you see Lord in your Bibles, that is Yahweh, but the Jews used the name Adonai, which means my Lord, because it was a replacement for Yahweh, because they didn't want to utter his name. And what I love about the Old Testament is when you read it, there is such a deep sense of God's sovereignty and his power and his majesty and, and a deep sense, which I think we lost a little bit, of holding God in incredible awe. And it's always a challenge for a church leader, this. You know, when we set up Redeemer King a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, we thought, you know, we want to be a family, that's really important to us. We want a kind of chilled out vibe. Cup of tea when you come in. Bit of music. Nice atmosphere. I love it like we're a little bit of a scruffy church. Not all of you. Some of you are very smart. But we're a little bit scruffy, you know, some of us. Looking over this side, particularly younger people. You know, and I like that because it's like, it's not a false formality. 
And that's really important to us, you know, relationship. And I, I actually, I like, you know, we're trying to contain the kids around a force field on the, on the mat for the sake of the parents, actually. And, you know, uh, it's like uh, we've, we've told them they're sharks if they come off the mat. Is that okay? Was that all right, parents? No, we didn't really. So, you know, uh, but I like it that they're running around and that they feel happy here. And I like it that they come out of Redeemer Kids bounding around. And I like it. I encourage it. You can, you know, if you're brave and you want to take the, you know, the, what we used to call the walk of shame out in front of me, I don't mind if you want to go and get a cup of tea. I love all that. But fusing that with a deep sense of God's awe and understanding his majesty, that's... that's complex because we want this but we also want that and the Jews had that that's why they didn't utter his name that's why sometimes it's good for us to get on our knees when we worship that's why sometimes when we have encounter there can be moments of stillness because we're in front of a holy God it's why sometimes I'm at work and my days are pretty chock-a-block with stuff sometimes I shut the door of my office which is rare and I just I just need to be with my father and just open my Bible and get a little bit of perspective and sit before a holy God. Or sometimes, you know, the benefit of working in a ministry is we can be in a meeting and, and pause and pray and bring ourselves into God's presence. And I love that. I love capturing the sense we have a holy God and keeping those things in tension is a very important thing, I think, for us. 6,828 times in the Old Testament. The name Yahweh is used. I would contend that means it's quite important. 6,828 times. Three times more than the word God. And what that's telling us is that God's name is important. And he wants us to know that his name has importance. And it's telling us that he is a distinct person. There are lots of gods, small g gods around in the ancient Middle East. And God is saying, I have a name. There's a distinctiveness about me. I'm a holy God. We know we didn't want to utter his name, as I said, but he's, he's a holy God. And the key text for us is Exodus 3.15, when, when Moses encounters the Lord, and it says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. <laughs> when David Suchet says that, it's awe-inspiring. When I say it, it's a little bit Romford. But he said, I am who I am. And actually, that's awesome when you start to unpack it. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of the, your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. That's Exodus 3.15. Okay, so what does that mean when God says, I am? I am the Lord Yahweh. What does that actually mean? What does him being master and Lord actually mean? Well, I've got a few little points to work through. For me, when God says I am and I am Lord, it means he truly has supreme authority in every respect. 
He is sovereign and he's the boss. He's the boss of my life. He's the boss of your life. He's the Lord and master of your life, even if you don't acknowledge him. Because actually, he holds all our lives in his hands. And as I've often said, he sustains us moment by moment, nanosecond by nanosecond. If he wanted to snuff me out, he could right now. If he wanted to end the whole show, he could right now. He holds the universe in his hands. We look out and we can't comprehend the scale of it. That is nothing compared to the majesty of God. When he said, I am, I am who I am, he's saying, I had no beginning. I always was. It just, I, I, I was always here. You can't comprehend me. I'm, I'm beyond your wildest imagination. I don't know if you've ever done this. I'm a little bit, I get a little bit philosophical sometimes. And sometimes, if, you, if you've ever done this, you try to imagine the end of the universe. Have you ever done that? It's not just me then, right? You sort of sit and you think, okay, solar system, galaxy, millions of galaxies. What's after that? You know, you try and get your head into it. If you've never done this, it's a great Sunday afternoon game when there's nothing else to do. Try and imagine what's beyond the universe. And I don't know about you, but you get a little block. You can't do it. When that, that's, it's God. You just, you can't comprehend the scale and the power and the majesty of all of this. God says, I am, I am absolute. No beginning, no end. I am who I am. It is power beyond our comprehension. A beautiful verse in Isaiah 40, 28 says, Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow faint and he doesn't grow weary. And then here's the mind-blowing thing. This is when my mind went on now weird tangents. John 10, 30 says, when you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And then you get to these mind-blowing verses in Colossians and soak this up. Colossians 1.15, very well-known verses. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All things were created for him, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. I suspect that people are looking at newspapers or online news at the moment and wondering what on earth is happening out there, all over the world, actually. I read my Bible and I think, God has got it. God has got it. He's supreme. His power is absolute. He knows the beginning from the end. And I don't know about you, but I have quite a robust belief in this book. And I've read the last page. I cheated. And it's going to be okay. God's got it. But here's the really mind-blowing thing. God, who has supreme power, who is master and Lord, lives in us. 
That's where my brain went. I thought, you've submitted your life to Christ. God lives in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you're a temple of God and the Spirit dwells in you? Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. We sang it earlier. It was buried in one of those songs, in that, that song which I'm not too familiar with. The second one, I think, there was a line, Christ in me. <laughs> We're just singing it like a throwaway line, but that's massive. That, that's huge truth. Paul said, the great man Paul the Apostle, who wrote loads of the New Testament, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I thought, I want a bit of that action. Imagine that. The power of Christ is living in you so much, you're struggling to contain the power. I know you probably don't feel like that this morning. But that, that is a promise. The supreme creator of the universe lives in us. So I started to scoot through the Bible and, and finding examples of this. And I, I just love this account. This kind of, you know, just sort of a, a, a throwaway kind of moment in the Bible, really. In Luke 8, uh, where there's this, you know, Jesus is on his way to do a healing and then an encounter happens. As, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. This is Luke 8, 43, if you're following it. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And they all denied it and Peter said, Master, there's people crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has come out of me. I love it. And that's the, that's the power of the creator of the universe. I love it. He's kind of boshing along. Crowds of people. Zoop. Oh, a bit of power just left me. How do you know that? That is the power of the creator. Touching women's eyes. She's healed. Goes on to say that she's phenomenally healed. He's just going around doing stuff. Did you know that's for us as well? It is. That's, that's for you. Yeah, the Bible says we'll do even greater things. 12, 15, 53, 82, years old. And power can come out of you because the creator lives in you. The master, I am. The creator of the universe, his power can live in us. That's, I'm reading that thinking, I so want that. And then, weirdly, while I was sitting down preparing this and thinking, oh God, oh God, I love that. I got this, um, got this text in. I'm getting my 6442, my password, zero. Not ten years last month. So um, let me find this this text, which was just mind blowing. I, I sent a picture over, I think, to the Q branch. Can you can you put the picture up? That that gruesome looking picture there. Um, we got a team working on this on what they call a strip in Vancouver, and Vancouver is a beautiful city. But actually, there's one bit which is full of people dying of drug overdoses and prostitutes living in tents, and it's grim. 
And I, I got this text as I was preparing his sermon for my Eden team leader who works and lives on the strip. Literally, you step out of his house and it's like hell. Still sitting in a state of shock this evening, trying to fully grasp the supernatural work of God that we experienced this morning in our weekly street ministry in Tent City, Worley. Our regular 7am prayer meeting began with the guys in an unfinished basement of Pastor Dave's house in the heart of Wally, Surrey. Heart cries to the Lord, asking for his power to be revealed and poured out into the darkest part of the city with an expectation that he can heal and cleanse it in one touch. A prayer came to my heart, Jesus, I don't want to read the Bible to hear all the amazing stories that took place 2,000 years ago with the apostles. I want to read it and be inspired and see the same Holy Spirit do those things today. I'll miss a bit out. Who would have known where the Spirit was going to lead us this day? One hour into our street ministries, coffee and breakfast sandwiches are being served out the back of the truck. Chris points out to a guy trying to wake his buddy up in a tent that happens to be right beside us, running over to make sure all is well. Um, turns out he's had an overdose. The worker, a worker, runs over to inject him with two doses of Narcan in the hope of saving this fentanyl overdose. One man on CPR, me and Dave, praying over the lifeless body as everyone waits for the ambulance to arrive. A war of the mind was going on. Um, a war of the mind was between this life is gone and Jesus can raise him up. It's a battle internally for faith. Another long 10 minutes passed. The paramedics arrive with another Narcan injection and more CPR. Yet his life is blue, no breath, no pulse. Voices of bystanders, paramedics saying it's done. Another one gone. There's death all the time there. But this only spurred on the prayer deeper with a now 100% expectation that my God was going to raise him. Kneeling on the sidewalk, holding his legs, completely shut out from the surroundings in prayer. A soft voice spoken into my heart. I'm going to breathe life into him as I did with Lazarus. A huge rush of heat through the prayer's entire body. And this man, 25 minutes dead now, rises up with a massive gasp of air back into his lungs. Instant colour back into his flesh, causing everyone to jump back in fear. And he stares right into our eyes. The Lord revealed his power to us and everyone around us by personally placing life back into this young body. And so it goes on, I think. <laughs> that is, this is from one of our guys. This is a trusted guy. I mean, I know him. He's not a nutter. This guy was dead 25 minutes on the pavement and the power of Jesus brought him back. I am who I am. I, I know the beginning from the end. I can do anything I choose. I'm sovereign. And if that don't cause a rise of faith in us this morning, we're dead. No, we're dead. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I need to do a little bit of panto. Yes, it's amazing. Because <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. Like, this is happening in front of people's eyes, the creator of the universe. And I want that. I want that, don't you? I want that in my life. It seems so unobtainable. And yet, I said to Karen, are there moments? Are there moments where we've seen this? And forgive me if I've said this before, but there was one moment. I mean, there's been a few, but there was one moment that stood out to me while I was preparing this, where as a young man, a young pastor in my late 20s, news came in that one of our very close friends had been involved in a near-fatal accident. He had pulled out of his golf course in his Land Rover and a lorry had smacked straight into the car and he was dying in intensive care. I was actually in a pastor's meeting that morning with the elders and volunteers, the pastoral care team. And I looked at my mate, John Saxton, who's now with the Lord, actually. We looked at each other and we went, we've got to go. 
we've got to go to the hospital. And, and we drove there, praying all the way, straight away, left the church, drove there, and went to the hospital. And I saw his wife, who's a dear friend of Karen, sitting outside, absolutely broken. And as I saw, the Lord whispered the psalm to me, Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. And I quoted this psalm to her, and she burst into tears again. She said, that's my, that's my favorite passage of scripture that was given to me in my baptism. I'm like, wow, now there's this sense that the Lord is on the move. Something's happening, so our faith is now built up. And now, if you go into intensive care, back then, I don't know what it's like now, but they made us put on a mask, scrub our hands, and I put this plastic apron thing on. And we walked in and he's in a room on the bed with beepers and tubes and plumbing work and all sorts of stuff <laughs> plugged into him. And he is, he's, he's near death. I mean, he's going to go. He's got these terrible injuries and, you know, he's uh, all sort of facial injuries and stuff and just, just not good. And um, we were left in the room on our own. And John and I, I'm now in my I'm in my late twenties. John's in his fifties at this early sixties at this point. We stretched out our hands and we just said, Sovereign God, please spare our brother. Just just bring, just spare our brother, but just rest your power on him. And I turn around, I've got to tell you exactly as it is. Unfortunately John is with the Lord, so he can't back this up. <laughs> but John had nearly fallen on to Nigel. He suddenly went, oh, like this. I said, John, what are you doing? So I'm holding John. He went, oh, I just felt all this power on me. And I went, oh. I'm like, this is not good. Nigel's nearly dying in bed. John's falling over on top of Nigel. Let's hope no one walks in. It's not a good moment. I kid you not, Nigel, who's lifeless in his bed, starts going, like vibrating. So let's pray some more. So I don't know what the vibrations were. So power going into this guy. And he woke up. He woke up. And he's, he's healed up. He's got one, one bit of muscular that nerve damage, which means his face droops to one side. He grew a beard to hide it, but now it's a style icon. But the Lord touched his life. And I think, this is I am. I am who I am. And I've, Karen, we had, Karen, we had people over for dinner Friday night and Karen said this throwaway line. There was a time when we saw lots of intervention and supernatural stuff. And so we don't always see that with the life we're leading now. But I tell you, it's when you've put yourself out on a limb and all your faith, hope and trust is in your Saviour, in your almighty God, and you know his power and you're submitted to him, that's when we've seen the stuff. And that's two brief points now. When your life is submitted to him. Is your life submitted to God? Is he truly your Lord and master of everything? Are you chipped up about stuff that's about you? Or have you given it to God? Are you at peace because you're giving your life to Christ? Are questions I think we need to ask. I love the centurion account and I haven't got time to read it now. But you'll see it in Matthew 8 where the centurion is pleads with Jesus to do a work. And now Centurion uh, would have been in the military for at least 10 years. They had the power of life and death over their men. They could brutally beat their men or kill them. They were battle-hardened, elite shock troops. These were the best of the best. They were proper, full-on warriors. And he knew what authority meant. And if you read that account in Matthew 8, 13, he basically says, 
I say to my men, go and they will go. I say, come and they will come. And I know, Jesus, if you say this will happen, it will happen because you have authority. And Jesus says, well, I've never seen faith like this before. Do we know that ourselves? If Jesus says it, it's going to happen. If God says it, it's going to happen. Are our lives truly submitted to him and do we truly trust him? When I first gave my life to Christ, I had an unwritten list of things I wanted to do. I wanted to join the military. Then I wanted to be a mercenary. Then I wanted to travel the world and make a million pounds a few times over. I wanted to learn to fly. I wanted to have a very large collection of motorbikes, a Porsche 911 and a Winnebago. It was all about me, life and stuff and ambition. And I knew when I gave my life to Christ that list was dead in the water. It says in Matthew 10:39, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for Christ, you'll find it. And I had to submit all my hopes and my dreams and ambitions, even at a very deep, less superficial level, to Christ. My life is now not my own. Can we all say that this morning? My life is not my own. That's how I feel. I have to fight and contend for that sometimes. But the way I use my time, my money, the way I treat people, the focus of my energy, it's all informed by the book now. As much as possible. I get it wrong on a daily basis. But I've been through a disciplinary process from the Lord. I remember the first time I got a bit chipped up about the way God wanted me to use my money. I was driving along with a bloke who's not had much money and he didn't have a road tax in his car back in the day when he had a disc. He didn't have a road tax. And I said to him, Gary, I think you need to get a road tax. And he went, I can't afford it. I felt the Lord say, you buy him a road tax. And at the time I was planting a church, I'd save some money to go on holiday the next day. Take Karen away for a weekend, so I'm a glamorous like Clacton. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought the Lord said, get him a road tax. So I said to him, I'll buy you a road tax. Gary said, thanks very much. So when are you going to do it? I went, well, I'll do it, I'll, I'll do it when I get back. I've got a little holiday. You give me a week or two and put a little bit more money aside and I'll do it. And he went, well, that's not very helpful. I said, how long have you not had a road tax? So he said, about a year. I went, oh. Anyway, I went back home and I told Karen what I was going to do. I just don't think we're going to be able to go away tomorrow. Uh, don't go buy this guy a road tax. So wife phoned me up an hour later. What are you doing? I said, I'm going to buy you a road tax. She went, well, it's terrible. I said, why is that? She said, you said you're going to buy road tax, and then you said to Gary, it's not going to happen for at least a week or two. And you build up our hopes, and then you shatter them. Literally, it's like that. It says, you're just outrageous. You know, you've got, you've got all these authorities of past. You don't realise the effect your words have on people's lives. You said you're going to do it, now you're not going to do it. How do you think that makes us feel? And I went, well, you haven't had a road tax for a long time. She went, that's not the point. Right, let's down the phone. And I, I thought, I put the phone down. I was really chipped up. And I thought, I'm going to buy you a road tax, you stupid woman. I just sort of <laughs> took a go to Clacton instead and spend it on chips, you know. <laughs> anyway, I just felt the Lord say to me, it's not your money. I told you to do it. I said, I don't this doesn't feel very nice. And I felt like I didn't tell you to like it. I told you to do it. It's not about whether you enjoy it or not. I asked you to do it. So I did. I, got, I went with him to the post office and we sorted all the paperwork out and I bought him a Rotax. He didn't even say thank you. <laughs> and I came, I came out of that thinking, oh, just like. But it was, it was a learning process. Do you trust me? Will you live my way? Will you submit your dreams and hopes and the way you think you should live? 
Will you trust me? And I tell you, out of those lessons, you know, it fashions you and shapes you. You can have the opposite spirit and you start to understand generosity and it gives space for the Lord to give you the money back. And we did get the money back, actually, in a weird way. And we did go on a holiday, probably to Skegness or something like that. But it was an amazing, beautiful time, actually, of just understanding the Lord's discipline and his purposes. I am who I am. Will you trust me? Am I truly Lord of everything in your life? Or you're chipped up and holding stuff back from me. And I look back now on years of adventure, being moved around the country, being on the edge of disaster, out on a limb a few times. And this is my last point. Psalm 9.10 says, the people who know God's name will trust him. It's a question, really. Many times I've had to take a leap of faith. I remember the time the bank doors closed behind me. I didn't know I was going to earn me shillings for the foreseeable future. Moving to Chesterfield, actually, we didn't know anyone. Didn't know anyone. It was just the Lord. Just thought we could just go and do it seven and a half years ago. Didn't know anybody. Oh, look, I know loads of people. I didn't know anyone at the time. Resigning from CVM. Thought the Lord said, you trust me. Ministry I loved and spilled blood for. and It's the heart drive of my life. Do you trust me? And for me, it all stems from how I see this. God is sovereign and his master. That's what the book tells me. And I just put this out there. I've noticed that people read this book in different ways. You can either read this book and say, let me sense how I feel and how I choose to live my life and what makes me feel good. And then I'll understand this book from that. Or you can say, I can take the book and this book will inform how I feel. And I'll cross the pain barrier to know the heart of God more. And I'll trust God. Because in my view, and I'm a bit old school, God is Lord. He's my Lord. And this is his word. And who am I to correct this book? I need to understand subtle nuances and context. I need to dig into it a bit and not be a nutter. But this is God's word. And I believe that God is sovereign. And the more I've taken this the simplest way I can and navigate the pain barriers, the more adventures I've had, actually. It informs how I live because God, Christ, is Lord of my life. And I just want to say this, actually. In my experience of following this book and trying to pursue the heart of Christ, I've discovered that only Christ can make me the man I know I ought to be with serious backup from my wife. Only God can make you the man or woman that you know you ought to be if you trust him. I was with a whole bunch of military people last weekend or the weekend before, astonishing people, spies, pilots, defense attaches, all submitting their life to Christ. Just amazing, just seeing people on the front line of some dodgy stuff, really trusting the Lord. Just came out of thinking, do I trust the Lord? Is he informing everything? in my life, and is he informing yours? Have you truly surrendered your life to Christ this morning? 100%. You're trusting him with everything. I think that's a question I have to ask out of this. Is God truly Lord and Master of all of your life? In every respect. 100%. Now it ebbs and flows. Life happens, stuff happens. But for me, it's that sovereign moment of metaphorically or physically being on your knees 
and saying, you are now king. My time, my life, my finances, my decisions, the way I treat people, the way I read this book, it's all of you now, God. And I, sur I surrender, actually. Now, I personally have to come to that place on a regular basis because I'm a little bit feisty and I've got lots of opinions about everything and I have to keep coming back to this and saying but, but you are Lord and you are master you know I surrender to you and it's amazing how when you do that God can see it fit to use you and take you to the next level in your journey it may not even be in the way you expect. It's weird. I mean, I'm not going to go into all the details of this, but I felt I had a, probably about two years feeling like I was in the desert. Well, I laid loads of things down before the Lord. Even while we were planting this church, there were loads of things going on in my walk with the Lord where I felt I was in the desert. I surrendered loads of things in front of him. It was just stripping me back and stripping me back. And just weirdly... Over the last two months, some things have flown back into my life and ministry that are far beyond anything I was doing before. And it's almost as if the Lord's saying, well, you humbled yourself. You trusted me. Now I, I, I give you these things to do because I know you're not going to get weird about it because you've been slapped around a little bit and you, you trust me. You truly call me Lord. So it's a question, is that, is, is that, is that us? Is, is that, can, we, can we really bring ourselves to that place and say, Jesus Christ is truly Lord 100% of my life? And it might be as I'm speaking, it's just a moment now to pause before we take communion. To bring ourselves collectively before our Father in heaven. And commit ourselves if we can in our hearts 100% to him do we trust him with our kids do we trust him with our bank balance do we trust him with our careers if we're in a desert period do we, do we still trust the Lord if we're struggling with our health do we still trust the Lord a beautiful moment for me was being with an old man as he was dying dying horribly actually it's really really horrible and I held his hand and I said are you okay brother you know how are you in your heart? And he said, oh, it's always a purpose, he said. I just trust the Lord is with me, and I know he is. And I said, if there's anything I can comfort you with, is there any scriptures? I mean, what can I do? And he went, oh, shut up. He said, he said I was very at peace with my saviour. And I went, oh. And he went, they just sit there and don't say anything else. <laughs> I went, okay, good. It's like a young bastard, you know. Just this deep sense actually on him that he just loved the Lord. As he came to the end of his life, his time on the earth, he just loved the Lord. And it's this deep sense of the Lord cocooning him actually. And he slipped away the next day. It was beautiful. Do we truly trust him?